Hello, and welcome to episode 16, sweet 16, of The Jared White Show, recorded October 10th, 2018. I'm, of course, your host, Jared White, and I invite you to join me in a curated celebration of the art form that is the web. So for today's highly meta segment, the regular meta segment is not meta enough, so this is now the highly meta segment. (laughs) Uh, It's just some housekeeping. Uh, So the show was originally envisioned to be released weekly, um, but I'm switching it over to bi-weekly for some scheduling reasons, which I'll explain more in a minute. Uh, So it's now going to be released every other week, and also it will be released on Thursdays. Originally it was on Tuesday, and then it was on Wednesday, and now it's on Thursday. I think it will stay there, because I don't want to be releasing anything on a Friday. Friday is where stories go to die. So I don't want to lose anything. I don't want to lose your attention because it's coming out on a Friday. So Thursday is where we will keep it. So the next episode should come out October 25th. Mark your calendars. That's when the next one will be coming out um, and, uh, and so on and so forth every other week from that point forward. All right. So like I said, some scheduling changes And uh, there's a couple different things I'm up to now. Um, Last episode, I talked about how I was rebooting my YouTube channel, and that has happened. Essential Life is now up on YouTube. The first couple of episodes already in the can. I'm feeling pretty good about how they turned out. Uh, It's been a lot of work. It's a lot of work, folks, to edit video, much more than audio, much more than a podcast episode. It's funny, though, like a podcast episode, it can be pretty long. You know, it can go 20, 30, 40 minutes. Uh, Other podcasts go way longer, but I'm trying to keep around 30 minutes or maybe less. Um, And basically, the edit time is only slightly more than the listen time. So if a podcast episode's 30 minutes, it might take me around 45 minutes to edit it because I'm basically just listening through, uh, cutting out any weird little bits where I had a you know, lost my train of thought or some kind of weird noise in the background or too many ums in a row or whatever. So I just clean up the audio a bit. Um, so it, it, it goes fairly smoothly. Um, but video takes hours and hours and hours to edit something that ends up being, you know, five minutes, eight minutes. Uh, it's a lot of work, but I'm really enjoying it. I've had a blast. It's just been really fun so far. Um, so uh, if you're wondering what the heck I'm talking about, uh, I'll just uh, tell you what's on the about page of the YouTube channel. Essential Life with Jared is a vlog series all about Portland, the Pacific Northwest, and the philosophy of essentialism. It's about finding your own way and never walking somebody else's path. It's about living a life that's most meaningful to you. So if you're interested in essentialism, in minimalism, in uh, finding out what's most meaningful to you in your life and how to make decisions about what you want to do and what you want to have, what you want to become. I think this channel will be for you. And also, of course, travel around Portland and the Pacific Northwest in general. Uh, I have some some pretty pretty exciting trips planned coming up to to get some great video for you all. So I'm really looking forward to it, and I, I hope you'll be excited about that as well. So that's YouTube, that's Essential Life. And then the other thing I've been up to, um, so feel free to skip ahead a couple of minutes if you don't want to hear about this. I know this topic won't be for everyone. 
Um, but I've started a new blog. It's called Simple Praxis, and it's about spiritual topics from a Christian perspective, specifically a more progressive, a more contemplative perspective. And uh, so I'll just read you the description here from the site. Simple Praxis joins with the broader movement of progressive Christian writers and thought leaders who are heralding a return to the empire-challenging social justice movement, which was the hallmark of Jesus' ministry and of his disciples. I know that's a mouthful, so there's also a shorter tagline, which is simply, walking the Jesus path with radical compassion, love, and equality. So if that topic is interesting to you, check that out as well. Of course, I have links for all of these things in the show notes. I'm just starting a new series on Simple Praxis, all about Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans, well, (laughs) I've had a love-hate relationship with Romans. It's the favorite stomping ground for Calvinists and other evangelical theology and culture warriors. Everyone seems to pull verses out of Romans when they're trying to prove their point about some major aspect of sin or redemption or salvation or the law or grace or all these different things that can get very muddled and confusing. Uh, Unfortunately, Romans is also brought up in conversations about sexuality and gender identity and some other hot-button issues like that. Um, I've been reading and rereading through Romans recently And I've come up with a completely different take on the letter, just really different that I haven't heard too many people talking about. I think it'll be really interesting to you, specifically if you are yourself coming from a more progressive perspective, or even if you're agnostic or atheist but have an interest in how interpretations of the Bible affect culture and affect Christian thought and how that then weaves its way into politics and other issues. Anyway, I just think this is going to be a, an interesting dialogue. So, so check out the blog, subscribe there. I have an email newsletter that's starting up specifically for that blog. I won't be sending out my own jaredwhite.com newsletter about uh, Simple Praxis all that often. So if you want to get all the latest updates from Simple Praxis, uh, subscribe there on the site. And now, without further ado, on to the link segment first link of the day here is an article on Medium by Douglas Rushkoff. It's called Universal Basic Income is Silicon Valley's Latest Scam. So I found this to be an absolutely fascinating article because universal basic income is something I've been pretty interested in. I tend to come from a more libertarian economic philosophy, philosophy of governing I think less government is usually better. I think the more bureaucracy gets involved in things, the worse it gets, (laughs) which I know puts me at odds to some extent with the more um, liberal left sort of view of things. Um, However, universal basic income is kind of interesting because it seems to solve two problems at once. It, It actually reduces government involvement in bureaucracy because it essentially replaces a lot of complicated welfare and other social services that are, you know, they have all kinds of requirements and rules for how you apply and what you get. And, you know, the theory is if you just took away essentially all these different kinds of welfare programs out there at all these different levels and just roll out universal basic income. So everyone just gets a little bit of money every month. And that's it. Just everyone gets some money. Every, you can be rich, you can be poor, you can be anywhere, you can be you know, from any background, you can be in any situation, and you just get some money. 
So it, it sounds like this crazy utopian thing, like something out of Star Trek, you know, like all, everyone in the Federation just gets all their needs met magically, and it's all wonderful. Um, but there's a lot of models and a lot of smart thinking around how this could actually be possible and, and you know, what would be required to enable UBI, universal basic income for everyone. However, this article by Douglas Rushkoff kind of makes the case that universal basic income, while sounding nice in theory, in practice might actually enable a lot of corporations to actually take advantage of people even more than they do now. Essentially, you know, companies like he mentions Uber as an example, you know, companies like Uber seem to to destroy existing you know, taxi companies and unions and other sort of established economic systems in this race to the bottom where this corporation just you know, has these sort of freelance contracts with a bunch of people to get them to use their own cars and their own infrastructure. And so, in other words, Uber is kind of just sucking a bunch of value out of the entire economic system and not really you know, enabling people to, to rise above their, their meager stations. Uh, and if UBI becomes a reality, Uber uh, essentially is just letting this, this government paycheck you know, solve all the problems. Uber doesn't have to solve any economic problems. Other Silicon Valley-style corporations, you know, the Amazons of the world, et cetera, they don't have to solve any real economic problems. They can just kind of say, like, well, everybody's getting this basic level of of income from the government, and then we pay them, you know, what we think is a fair wage for them to get. And if they uh, are complaining about it, that's, you know, that's just the way the economy works, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I, I can't do the, the argument justice the way the author can. So please check out that link if you're interested in universal basic income, if you're interested in what he suggests as an alternative, which is universal basic assets. So it's, it's less about cash flow every month and more about what kind of assets people have and what they can rely on over the long term. Uh, all fascinating stuff. I know for some people, economic talk can just get really boring and really uh, academic very quickly. But I thought this was very, very interesting, and I enjoyed reading it. Uh, next up, Google just had an event where they released a bunch of new products, uh, including the Pixel 3 line of smartphones, and the, the sort of plus size or max size of the Pixel phones is called the XL. And the Pixel 3 XL is kind of on everyone's lips right now for not great reasons, <laughs> because uh, like the new iPhone 10 and 10s lines, it has a notch. But this notch really looks huge. It's like this massive notch that goes way in, and it's sort of this ungainly shape. And some people are saying, well, when you're using it in person, it doesn't look quite as bad, and you kind of get used to it. But essentially, uh, there's just this giant notch on the bigger phone. Strangely enough, the smaller phone doesn't have a notch, and there's actually more of a bezel on the top and the bottom. Um, but, uh, but the XL just has this huge notch. And uh, the article here is from The Verge, basically saying that Google has failed to justify why this notch needs to be so big. Unlike Apple, there's no face tracking technology here to unlock the phone. Uh, you know, it's just basically the front-facing camera technology that's you know we've had for for a long time for selfies and things of that nature. Uh, so why does this notch have to be so big? And the weird thing is, there's still a little bit of a chin, a little bit of a bezel at the bottom, even you know even with this new design that they have. So uh, I don't know. 
Personally, I, I just find the Google products to be pretty ugly. I've never seen a hardware product of Google's that I find attractive, really, in any way. <laughs> and the new Pixel phones are no exception. You know, it's just funny to me how everyone was pretty upset originally about the notion that Apple would come out the new line of phones that have a notch, going so far as to have notch gate thrown around as a term. Um, but, you know, if there's any sort of real notch gate going on at this point, I think it's, it's uh, with Google's phone and, and maybe some, some other Android phones that have started to come out where the notches just kind of look super weird. I think Apple's notch, you know, if you're going to have a notch of any kind, I think Apple's is about as good as it gets. You know, it's, it's not too big. The, the corners and the shaping of it seem pretty well thought out. So uh, it's not ideal. Like, nobody would want this kind of design, really, if they could uh, have an alternative that, you know, somehow the cameras and other things are, like, within the screen somehow. I don't know how that could ever happen. But uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, check out The Verge to find out what their reasoning is for, for uh, why Google's not making a good case here about this huge notch. All right, next link. This is actually what I really want to talk to you about. This is the, the meat of the, the next few minutes as we head towards the conclusion of the podcast. Uh, 9to5Mac has an exclusive, an article with a whole bunch of different details, rumors, in- information about what they believe is coming out uh, soon with the whole new line of Apple iPad Pros. Or is it iPads Pro? Anyway, iPad Pros, uh, new Face ID details, uh, USB-C port, which is hugely fascinating, and apparently 4K HDR video will be supported through that USB-C port. Um, new Apple Pencil 2 with uh, even easier pairing options. They act more like AirPods, apparently. Uh, a much faster, beefier A12X processor. So it's like the latest line of iPhones, but even more powerful, a uh, huge improvement in graphics performance, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, uh, all the rumors that have already been around for a while that the new iPad Pros will have you know, edge-to-edge displays with almost no bezel, and it's going to look a lot more like the new iPhones, the iPhone X design language, uh, as compared with previous iPads. Uh, so check out that article on 9to5Mac for all those juicy details. Um, I just want to zoom out a little bit and talk about the iPad Pro in general as a platform. Uh, I love my iPad Pro. I actually have an older one at this point. It's the 9.7-inch iPad Pro, not the newer 10.5-inch size. Let, let me just tell you, like, I'm using my iPad right now, this very moment, to look at the show notes, to, to check out the websites that I'm talking about here. And really, the, the only reason on a daily basis I use my Mac laptop so much, my MacBook Pro, is because I'm a developer. So I have to do developer-y things. I'm writing a lot of code. I'm doing pretty specific design-related stuff that's, that's, you know, gets pretty involved with the development side of websites and web applications. Um, so I'm kind of forced to use a Mac because the iPad just doesn't have all these Unix command line tools. It doesn't have the terminal, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it can't be running a bunch of background services like databases and web servers and all those sorts of things. So I'm basically using my laptop as a 
as a terminal into a bunch of background Unix services. And that's, that's why the Mac's great. That's why the Mac is such a popular developer platform at this point. Um, but honestly, a lot of the time, if I'm just sort of jotting down notes, if I'm writing, writing articles, uh, working on documents, uh, if I'm browsing through my photo library, if I'm just kind of wanting to read, watch some videos, like a lot of things that, and, and you know, some of that sounds like consumption, but some of that is creation too. So whether creation type tasks or consumption um, if it's not too far in the geeky developer side of things, I always prefer using my iPad. I absolutely love the form factor of the iPad. I love the idea that I can literally just hold a window into the digital world in my hands. Like, and that's why I get so excited about this new concept for the iPad Pros where it's an almost edge-to-edge display and is a lot more reminiscent of the latest iPhones. I just I want to be able to just have something in my hands that literally is just a window into the digital world. And the, the bigger that window in as light and thin of a form factor as possible, the better. I mean, ultimately, like the, the fantasy version of this is I, I'm basically just holding sort of a, a glass or some kind of flexible fabric thing that is just the screen. <laughs> and, you know, I know there's like all kinds of reasons why that is probably never going to happen. And there's probably a bunch of ergonomic reasons actually, that's actually not good. But I just want to feel like I'm, I'm holding a web page. I'm, I'm holding an ebook. I'm, I'm holding a YouTube video. Like, I just want to hold the content. I don't want to have this gadgety thing with all these complicated, you know, affordances and bits and bobs of things, you know, sort of clouding the experience. Um, you know, I just want to hold something, and it's the content. And that's why I just love the iPad. And you know, ever since the very first iPad Apple ever came out with, I've been 100% on board with this platform. I'm a huge believer in it. Uh, and something that's been bothering me, though, uh, as of late, is I know people. I know people, even people in my own family, where they use their computers for things where I'm just scratching my head wondering, like, why don't you use an iPad for that? Like, people reading books on their computers, <laughs> working on documents, checking email, like, all these other things, and they're using these huge laptops for doing that sort of thing. Uh, and I just can't figure it out. Like, like again, in, in my ideal world, I would, I would use the iPad for pretty much everything, and only, you know, drop over to, to essentially a huge desktop Mac, like my iMac that I have. Like, I love using my iMac for these, you know, big, powerful tasks, like, like music studio, you know, recording sessions, of video editing in DaVinci Resolve or Final Cut Pro or something like that. You know, these huge, big, beefy tasks where you want this giant window and all the computing power you can get at your disposal, like... You know, desktop computers still make sense to me in those cases, and I love that. But if I'm using something portable and on the go, like if I could get away with it, I would only use an iPad. I just would not use a Mac anymore. Uh, so again, like for me personally, not only are the iPads a, a, a wonderful line of products, but I really do agree with Apple's philosophy that uh, the iPad form factor for, you know, sort of everyday computing tasks and mobility and so forth like that is the way the future is going anyway that's just my little rant but 
Uh, all that to say, I'm hugely excited about the new line of iPad Pros. I really, really want to get one in the in the 12.9 inch form factor or whatever is is close to that with these new ones. Uh, I can't wait till the Apple event when they announce all these things and. And of course, uh, once they're in Apple stores, I'm, I'm really going to be checking them out seriously and writing a review and probably getting one once I can afford it. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, there you go. Apple iPads. Uh, interestingly enough, Google also has come out with a whole new line of tablets. The, what is it? The Pixel Slate, I believe. Uh, and the, the interesting thing is it's not running Android like all sort of Google-type tablets have in the past. It's running Chrome OS. So it really seems like Google's sort of getting the message out there that if it's not a phone, if it's something bigger that's more computer-y, Chrome OS is really where they're going. And of course, Chrome OS does run Android apps on it. I don't know. I I feel like the the Chrome OS, Android OS dichotomy, the the whole Google ecosystem story there seems really muddled, really confusing. You know, they seem to be pushing web apps, but then they're also pushing native apps, and you're not really quite sure why one is better than the other. Uh, there's just a whole bunch of reasons why I feel like the, the whole ecosystem around uh, Google products uh, is really strange, really confusing, doesn't make sense a lot of the time. I'm not necessarily saying you have to completely buy into any one ecosystem. I'm not saying if you use Apple products, you should use Apple everything. I actually used to use iCloud Drive. I switched to that from Dropbox and was using iCloud Drive. But I ended up having some real technical problems and some real sync issues that Apple was not helping me fix in a timely fashion. Uh, So I switched away from iCloud Drive, and I actually use OwnCloud, which is sort of a file-sharing, file-syncing service like Dropbox, like iCloud Drive. Uh, But uh, you can run it on your own server. It's open source. Um, So I love using OwnCloud. I use Apple Notes, but I also use some other apps for note-like things and, you know, storing tidbits of information and so forth. So, you know, I'm, I'm largely on the Apple ecosystem bandwagon, but not completely. But I think by and large, if you use Apple products, if you use an iPhone, if you use an iPad, if you use a Mac, and if you use a lot of the services through iCloud that, that sort of tie them all together... Uh, it, it really, a lot of the time, is this really great experience. It's this really seamless thing. You know, I can copy some text on my iPhone and paste it into something on my Mac. I can be looking at something on my Mac and, and airdrop it over to my phone to look at later. Uh, there's just all these nice ways that they all work together. Um, and I don't feel like Google is there. I don't feel like, you know, if you if you get a a Google Chromebook, and if you get a Pixel Slate, and if you get a Google Pixel phone and use all of Google services, I just don't believe that you're going to get as seamless and as, as uh, logical an experience. Um, but that's just me. If you feel differently, please tell me, let me know. Let me know how Google products have worked for you, and, and I'd love to hear about it. Anyway, uh, that's it for today. That's the end of this episode. So thank you for listening. Uh, as always, you can go to jaredwhite.com slash podcast to find out more about this podcast, to subscribe if you haven't already. And uh, I'll see you next time in two weeks. I will see you then. All right. Bye, everybody.
White Show, Jared White Show. He is so cool, and he's also my daddy. Jared White Show, Jared White Show.